We are glad to make all of our Jcast Network podcasts free for our listeners. However, they are not free to produce and host. Please consider making a donation to Jcast Network to help support our work by visiting jcastnetwork.org slash donate. Thanks for your support. You are listening to The Stender with Rabbi Michael Knopf, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about Rabbi Knopf, please visit mikeknopf.com. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. I am honored and humbled and happy to be here. Your rabbi is indeed a dear friend of mine and an inspiration to me. And I could go on and on, but I will say, I'll sum it up this way. Your rabbi inspires me to be a better priest. It is a joy to know him and his family. And again, a joy to be here. And I also want to say that, that you, uh, Am Yisrael, the people of the Torah, you give me hope for the world. Meanwhile, it has been said that the shortest distance between human beings is a story. So if I may, I'd like to share with you a few little stories uh, this morning. In late April of 1865, my great-great-great-grandfather, his name was William Henry Wallace, was still making his way south from the surrender at Appomattox en route to his hometown of, ironically, Union, South Carolina. When a, when a messenger arrived at his home, again, before he got there, a messenger that his wife, my great-great-great-grandmother, received. And the messenger explained that the Confederate President Jefferson Davis and members of his cabinet, along with their escort, would be arriving in town in a few hours. And could they have a rest at the Wallace home, and might the Wallaces be able to feed them? She said yes, and then hurriedly sent word all around the neighborhood, gathering up whatever could be gathered to put on the best feast she could for these guests. Neighbors sent over coffee and strawberries and the best foods they could come up with in those lean times. And sure enough, a while later, President Davis and his entourage arrived and were soon seated at the family's dinner table, and dinner was served. Well, my great-great-grandmother was a little girl at the time, and when she was older, she wrote an account of what happened. And in that account, it's clear that for that little girl, Helen Wallace, my great-great-grandmother, that the most interesting part of that memorable visit paid to her home out of the blue on that spring afternoon of 1865, the most interesting, the most memorable, the most endearing aspect of the whole experience was one Judah P. Benjamin, the Confederate Secretary of State. And she notes, she notes in her account how he chatted with her and she sat on his knee at the dinner table uh, in the middle of that dire moment with all those anxious, deeply serious men around the table that Judah Benjamin managed to show a warmth and generosity of spirit and humor that captured the imagination of that little girl. And of course, she remembered that for the rest of her life. And here I am talking about it today and sharing that memory from my family with you. And in that little story, of course, many stories meet. The story of my family, the story of Judaism in America, my story and your story, 
as well as the story of what has been called America's original sin, slavery and racism. I descend directly from 11 Confederate soldiers. They were my great-great and great-great-great-grandfathers, most of whom served in Virginia at one point or another, and one of whom died here just down the road in Petersburg. So when I was called to be rector of St. Paul's Church here in Richmond 10 years ago, a church once known as the Cathedral of the Confederacy, a church where Robert E. Lee and Jefferson Davis and many other leading Confederates attended, when I was called to St. Paul's, in, in many respects, it felt simply like coming home. It felt natural. Of course, I could serve there and understand the distinct history of the place because it was because it is my history. What I did not imagine was what would come seven years into my time at St. Paul's after the tragedy at Mother Emanuel Church in Charleston in 2015 in my home state of South Carolina. I did not imagine that moment where the next time I got into the pulpit of St. Paul's after the tragedy in Charleston, I would ask the people of St. Paul's if it was time for us, time for them, to have a conversation unlike any we had had before about the many Confederate memorials within the church, including multiple images of the Confederate battle flag. If it was time for us to consider, as we never had before, what it was like for African Americans, men, women, and children, to walk into our church. Did they feel just as welcome as any white Americans walking in? If it was time to look at our history as we never had before and to ask ourselves what God would say to us. In the succeeding weeks, we began a series of what we called prayerful conversations as we prayed that God would show us the way. And after a lot of conversation and debate and prayer and coffee and lunches and meetings, we established the History and Reconciliation Initiative. We removed the images of the battle flag from within the church. We began an intensive and honest study of the history of St. Paul's. We committed to creating a memorial to the enslaved men and perhaps women who helped build the church. We committed to creating ways of drawing on our history to teach about racism, justice, and reconciliation. As your rabbi mentioned, I am now moving on to a new ministry uh, as a school chaplain back in my home state of South Carolina. But the work goes on, of course. And our presiding bishop, the Episcopal presiding bishop, Michael Curry of royal wedding fame, made a special visit to St. Paul's in March to celebrate the work of the History and Reconciliation Initiative, which was an incredible day, as you can imagine. Well, with our departure for South Carolina nearing a week from today, as the rabbi mentioned, recently I did something I had been meaning to do for years. My boys had a day off from school and my wife, their mother, had plans of her own. And so I drove the boys, ages 12 and 8, 
we drove south to Petersburg, to the part of the battlefield there where one of our ancestors died, as I mentioned. We went mid-morning, and it was a perfect day to be out there, sunny, uh, with a light breeze blowing, and we walked the earthen ramparts, and we talked as we went along about what happened there on that very ground a little over a century ago. A little, excuse me, a little over a century and a half ago. When Lieutenant Colonel P.H. Nelson, our ancestor, raised a handkerchief, there's a very uh, vivid description of this, he pulled a handkerchief out of his breast pocket and raised it over his head, a signal that his men were expecting, and hundreds of them poured out of the trenches, out of their entrenchments, rushing across a large field of oats toward the federal line. This is June 24th, 1864. Most of them would not return, including Colonel Nelson. Indeed, his body was never found. We talked about that, about how Papa's ancestors lost the battle and lost the war, and about how Mama's ancestors won the war. Their mother is from Vermont. We've talked about these things before, about slavery and what slavery had to do with it, and about how my ancestor and therefore their ancestors owned slaves. Of course, that's hard to understand, hard for them to understand, hard for me to understand. We'll talk more, of course. I want them to know, to know what happened, to know the whole story, to know how brave Colonel Nelson was. Yes, of course. But also, I want to reflect with them on the painful reality that our ancestors held other human beings in bondage and that the cause for which our ancestors fought cannot be separated from the soul-crushing institution of slavery. And what I hope and what I pray is that over time, our conversations about the American Civil War will play a part in their becoming. And I was thinking about this during the beautiful ceremony, the naming of the child. My hope is that these conversations about the Civil War will play a part over time in their becoming, my two boys becoming ever more so Compassionate people, humble people, people determined to play a part in helping our world to be a more humane and just and welcoming place for all people, regardless of race or heritage or anything else. I want them to know the whole story and to really know it so that they can be whole people and so that others can be as well. With the 50th anniversary of Bobby Kennedy's death, I was talking a few days ago with my 12-year-old, who was named Nelson, about the Kennedy brothers. And his first question was, did they do anything for African-Americans. 
And I was grateful that he would ask that question. And I had one of those moments as a parent of feeling, well, we must be doing something right. <laughs> this morning, as I have shared a few stories with you, I couldn't help but think about the Hebrew tekun olam, the repair of the world, language I return to often, very often, in fact, that all Jews and by extension all people can participate in repairing the world, can participate in making the world more the way God would have it be. There's a lot of work to be done, don't we know? And there are endless ways to do it, large, small, and in between. And we, each of us, have our place in that work. It's hard work, and it's worth it. It's holy work. And it's what we're doing. Shabbat Shalom.